Would you pray with me? You are great, God. And we ask that you would speak to us this morning. That we would enjoy more of your greatness. That we would rejoice in more of your greatness. That we would experience more of your greatness. That we proclaim more of your greatness this morning, O oh God. That we would live out the truth of your greatness in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On July 5th, 2018, James was out celebrating his 15th anniversary with his wife when he encountered a man named Ryan. Ryan was a homeless man begging for some spare pocket change so that he could fill his belly for the night. Um, James, the owner of a very successful company in the area, engaged Ryan in some conversation and uh, discovered that Ryan had been jobless and homeless for over three years. So James handed Ryan $20 and then offered him a job within his company. When Ryan showed up to work on Monday, James already had a hiring agreement ready to go. It spelled out his job description, duties, pay, and benefits. This not only included a salary that was far more than Ryan had ever made in his entire life, but also included a place to live, medical insurance, and a 401k. I have a survey for you all. By a show of hands, how many of you want to be blessed by the Lord God Almighty this morning? How many of you would rather be cursed by God this morning? Good answer. Good answer. Well done. You know, talk about a no-brainer survey, right? The, the quest to attain a state of blessedness is a universal human longing, as is the aversion to being cursed. But of course, it's not as easy as raising our hands, is it? It's never simply a matter of desiring to be blessed. Now, if you've been around me for far too long, then you probably know the response that I was really looking for. Not a raising of hands, but a raising of questions, right? What do you mean by blessed? What do you mean by cursed? And what must I do in order to be blessed? In answer to the first, to be blessed carries the idea of receiving things that are good for you. Enjoying pleasing experiences or benefits within the momentary circumstances that you find yourself. To be blessed is certainly a positive attribution, right? Everybody, you know, yeah. It's something good, something favorable to the one upon whom it is conferred. And to be cursed is the other side of the coin. It is the opposite of blessing to be the recipient of unfavorable things. No wonder why we all chose blessing instead of cursing. But the key question is the third one that I raised. What must I do in order to be blessed. What are the conditions of receiving blessing? Well, the answer certainly is not nothing. The answer to the question in the case of the Israelites is what Moses has been answering for the past seven chapters, including and concluding with this. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. 
and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. This is the paramount decision for the nation as they enter the promised land. Live in accordance with the covenant and its stipulations and you'll be blessed. Don't, and you'll be cursed. The ultimatum is how Moses concludes this section before transitioning to the articulation and the exposition of the particular laws that Israel was to follow. Those detailed laws, commands, stipulations, rules, regulations comprise the preponderance of chapters 12 through 26. Now you've probably noticed through the first 11 chapters that we've covered that up to this point Moses has repeatedly given the general instruction to follow these commandments that I give you today without actually giving the commandments themselves, for the most part. What he's been doing is providing the general concepts of the covenant, as well as Israel's relationship within that covenant and responsibilities to that covenant. It's kind of like the owner in the opening illustration saying, okay, so here's what's going to happen. I'm about to give you a bunch of instructions, rules, and practices that are part of this job. Make sure you follow these instructions. If you want to honor me, this company, and your new position, then you need to follow these instructions that I'm about to give you. They are an integral component of our employment agreement. Do them and you'll be successful and enjoy the benefits of success. Don't do them and what you'll experience is frustration, failure, and the loss of those benefits. Now remember, this is necessary for Israel because about of what is about to happen. Israel is about to receive the long-awaited covenant promise of the land. Verse 10, for the land that you are entering to take possession of. It's not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. You see, the land was the central object of their longings, a place to call home. They were used to being the foreigner, right? The refugee, to not having a place to rest their head or to call home. The possession of this land meant security and God's blessing and presence and protection in their lives. They're about to enter the land that's flowing with milk and honey. And as a gourd named Jimmy once said so profoundly, sounds sticky. <laughs> Did I do that well? <laughs> and indeed, it can be sticky entering the land of milk and honey. In taking possession of this land and receiving its abundant surplus, there looms a very real impending danger. You might remember it from chapter 8. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. This danger is repeated here in this passage. 
because this is a passage of a lot of repetition. He's repeating because this is the conclusion of everything he said for the, for the last seven chapters. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. It's the same warning. Take care. Be on guard. Watch out. Lest. You see, the constant danger which the Israelites would face in the land was that they would forget the Lord who had given them the land in the first place and who continued to make it fruitful today. You might remember that ridiculous alliterated maxim from a couple weeks ago. Prosperity and personal peace has the propensity to persuade us to take pride in our own personal prowess and power instead of praising God for his provision. Remember that one? If you don't, good job, thank you. Say it faster. Prosperity and personal peace has the propensity to persuade us to take pride in our own personal prowess and power instead of praising God for his provision. If they walk away from the covenant Lord and their covenant responsibilities, they will be walking away from the blessings of the covenant. In other words, they will be cursed This is what Moses had set before them. Don't do that. Choose the blessing. Now, this is all well and good for old covenant Israel. But what in the heck does it have to do with us? New covenant Christian believers. I mean, really, how do these words on the plains of Moab to the nation of Israel correspond to you, the new covenant believer? How does what he requires of Israel apply to us? How does how the Lord deals with Israel help us to understand how he deals with us? That's a question we're always wanting to know, right? How does this apply to me? Or is this just a history lesson? If it's just a history lesson, I didn't used to be a really big history. Anyway, never mind. It's not a history lesson. There are several ways that this passage relates to us as New Covenant believers in Christ today in discovering how we need to make a differentiation between what aspects of this passage are peculiar to Israel and which parts are perpetual for all of God's people for all of time. Something that is peculiar is something that is characteristic of a single group. It is particular to them and does not have bearing on people beyond them. For instance, in verse 13, it says, And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today. Many of those commandments, or laws, which Moses was about to give them, were peculiar to the nation at that time. These are often called, as we have talked about in the past, ceremonial laws. Some of these laws symbolized a separation between Israel as God's chosen nation and the pagan nations. Other laws were for governing the national, political, and civil aspects of the nation of Israel, while still others symbolized the coming salvation in Christ. All of these ceremonial laws were particular to the nation of Israel during their occupation of the promised land. They were to be obeyed by the Israelites for the benefit of the nation as a whole. They were peculiar to them so too were the consequences of disobedience 
or obedience in this passage, the blessings and the curses listed. There were a bunch of them. I'll read them to you. If you, Israel, will indeed obey my commandments, he, the Lord, will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil, and he will give the grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Then he says, take care lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly. You will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. You see how that's particular to them? Later on, for if you will be careful to do all this commandment, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. I'm not running over there looking for that land. Why? Because it was particular to them. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land and, the, and that you shall tread as he promised you. Guys, we don't want unbelievers to be afraid of us. Everybody go, yes, that's true. Yes. Do you see how all of these are relating to, the, to Israel's presence in the promised land? These are specific blessings or curses for, particular to, the nation of Israel while entering and occupying that specific territory in the Middle East. If they obeyed the Lord and walked in His ways, they would experience these particular benefits listed while in the land. And if they disobeyed, they would undergo these maladies while living in the land. Yet, amidst these words of Moses are also perpetual truths and principles that apply just as much for the people of God today as they did for the people of Israel in Moses' day. For instance, we have addressed many times in the past how the moral laws are universal and invariant. That is, they apply to all people for all time because they derive from the moral aspects of God's unchanging nature. Therefore, they are perpetual. They were meant for Israel as God's people then, as well as for all of God's people throughout every generation. I made pictures. I like pictures. They help me to learn. I hope they help you learn. We will see many of these laws again in chapters 12 through 26. And there are some other perpetual concepts and principles contained within this passage as well, as well which we're about to address. Throughout the month of August, I've been praying Second Thessalonians 1, 11, and 12 over each and every one of you that I know that has been a member of this church that has been attending for some time. The prayer goes like this. We, or I, keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. And may he fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith 
so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul also prayed this prayer for those in the church at Colossae. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him. Now, as I was praying this, I really wanted to understand what he's trying to say so that I knew how to pray for y'all. I didn't just want a rote prayer. I wanted to, what, what, what's he saying here, Lord? What is a life worthy of his call? Or to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord mean? So that I can pray that for Josh. So that I can pray it for Donna. So that I can pray it for Jonathan. And Daryl. And Mark. And Taya. And all y'all, but if I said every name, we'd be here a long time. So. <laughs> So as I was chewing on this, the analogy came to mind of a, of a business type situation. The call is a very important job that someone undeserving has been given. Kind of like in my opening illustration, hence the illustration. And so to live a wife worthy of the call would mean that the individual lives up to the title and expectations of the position they've been given and honors their employer through those actions. Let's take the story that I opened with. What would it mean for Ryan to live in a manner worthy of the calling or the position that he had been called to? It would mean that he, through his actions and demeanor, dress and conduct, would represent James and James' company well, right? That he would honor James for having given him this amazing job. Kind of makes sense. That when people saw how Ryan behaved and that he was an important employee within James' company, that James and his company would have a better reputation because of Ryan. Wow! Look at the integrity, the demeanor, the work ethic of Ryan. Boy, isn't it awesome that James gave him that position? Well, then I took this picture in my mind and I translated it over to the Christian life. Our calling is by Christ to Christ. To be his people, his representatives, his ambassadors, his emissaries. <laughs> and then I went down the rabbit hole. That's not all. Here's just a sampling of what God has called you through the new covenant. You're a child of God. You are a son of the living God. You are the body of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. You are a building of God. You are a city of God. You are the dwelling of God. You are a citizen of heaven. A holy one. You are a holy temple. You are a priest. You are a Christian. 
For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are whose people? God's people. Can I get an amen? And so I prayed that you would live in a manner worthy of that call. I envisioned you fulfilling those titles, those roles, those responsibilities well. I pleaded that you would be living out this high and holy calling, that you are exemplifying the title, Child of the Most High God. Discharging your responsibilities in such a way that people would say, that you do justice to that title. I pray that when people look at your life, they think of Christ in a good way. In a good way. Not a jerk for Jesus. (laughs) Not in that way. You see, that is how that second phrase comes to pass in that prayer, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. Not that you are Christ, but that Jesus has worked mightily in you and that you are an example of what Christ can do in the lives of those that he calls. That when people see you, they praise God. That as Paul says, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That they think more highly of God because of how you, his ambassador, represents him. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And as I was praying this, it dawned on me that that is exactly what Moses is calling Israel to do here. To live in a manner worthy of their covenant calling. They have received this calling, the calling to be God's people. God has rescued them and made them his. He has placed them in this land, or job in the analogy, as his representatives. And they can enjoy the benefits of this position so long as they walk in a worthy of this calling. That though they make mistakes, they learn from them and turn from them. That they are seeking to honor the one who gave them this land and who has called them into this position. That they are seeking to lovingly glorify the God who rescued them from Egypt and brought them to this place. And so in the midst of that, what was Israel's primary job description? Their objective, their chief duty, their overall responsibility as God's people. He has told them repeatedly through the first 11 chapters. If I had quoted all the scriptures that I started with, we would have been here till Tuesday. So I'm just going to give you a couple. You can go look at the rest. 6.5, you shall 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 10.12, what does the Lord your God require of you? But the fear of the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Last week, Kurtz read this one, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And guess what? It happens two more times in this very passage. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, and what do those commandments entail? To love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. What? Again? One more time. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, what is that commandment that he commands us to do? <gasps> Loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, and holding fast to him. The sum of their responsibilities was loving God through walking in his ways and holding fast to him. The whole of their covenant responsibility can be summarized in love the Lord. The whole of what it means to live in a manner worthy is guess what? To love the Lord. This is the root of their obedience. Their love and dependence upon God is what will constrain and direct their actions. And this, New Covenant believers, is a perpetual principle. The essence of what it means for us to live in a manner worthy is exactly the same. To love the Lord your God to walk in his ways, and to hold fast to him, to stand firm in him, to abide in him. I'll just give you a couple New Testament verses, because again, we would have been here a long time. To love him. Jesus said something about that. What was it? Oh, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. To hold fast, to cling, to cleave, to abide in Him. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And to walk in his ways. What does it mean to walk in his ways? Well, let's return to our analogy. Imagine the owner of the company telling the employee, now, I want you to honor my name and this company by doing your job and doing it well. Okay, okay, okay. So have a great day. See you later. Bye-bye. 
but, 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 but what's missing? How? How in the world am I to do that? What is it that will show my love and appreciation for what he has done for me? What is it that will honor the owner of this company and esteem his name? The employee needs to know the ways that will do this. So he needs those rules. He needs those guidelines. He needs those procedures of the company and of its owner in order to be able to fulfill his calling. And as we've already seen for Israel, those rules, guidelines, procedures were laid out in the commandments, both the moral and the ceremonial commandments. Hence, this next part within the verse that we're in, within the passage that we're in. There's this command. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Haven't we heard that repeated before too? I must say Deuteronomy chapter 6. What does repetition mean? It's important. Good, good. You can hear the importance of what Moses is saying here. These words, these commandments, these rules and regulations are so important that you are to lay them up in your heart and in your soul. Put them constantly before you, both physically and mentally to remind you of God's truth, to remind your children of God's truth so that you can walk in the ways of God. And how do we, as New Covenant believers, walk in His ways? Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 1 John For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. We are to do and obey the perpetual moral commands of the Lord. Now, I began with the question about whether you wanted to be blessed or cursed. We've already seen how the blessings and cursings mentioned in this passage were peculiar to Old Covenant Israel. But is there a new covenant equivalent? Is there a perpetual principle where God still blesses or curses his people today, albeit in a different fashion? Anybody want to know the answer to that or should we just be done and go home? I do. You'll find many places in the New Testament where God blesses his people. But the idea of him cursing his people is completely absent. The only places where it addresses God cursing someone in the New Testament are in reference to unbelievers, those who have not trusted in Christ. They are described as being accursed or under the curse. But that curse, the curse of the law, was taken by Christ 
for those who trust in him. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's how much he loves you. We are no longer under the curse. We are no longer under the curse. The curse was in trying to attain salvation through our deeds. But that is impossible, and hence why it is called a curse. If you are trusting in anything but Christ for your salvation, you are currently trusting in a curse that can only condemn you. If you are not trusting in Christ, then you are currently under God's curse. That hurts, doesn't it? If you're an unbeliever, you're like, ouch. But it's true. So turn to Christ. Love Christ, abide in Christ, and that curse will be broken from you. It will be broken. Trust in Him. Back to the question at hand. Do our works as believers garner God's approval or disapproval? And do they earn earthly benefits or the lack thereof? Kind of seems what we're asking, right? While God does not curse believers who are not walking in a manner worthy of their calling, Scripture is clear that He does discipline them out of His love for them. He does not curse believers who are not walking in a manner worthy, but He does discipline because He loves them. He certainly can and often does use adversity to bring us closer to where we need to be as his people. And walking in love and obedience and abiding in him, a.k.a. living in a manner worthy of our calling, certainly does result in greater blessing for God's people. Think of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, peacemakers, and the pure in heart. Blessed are they. We also see believers being blessed for obedience and walking in the way, of Christ, the way that Christ walked. For instance, in Luke 14, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you. Whoa, I don't like that last part. Can we just stop with blessed? You see, this blessing does not necessarily mean physical or material blessing. In fact, there seems to be a correspondence between greater obedience and greater persecution. The last of those little blessings that Jesus talks about, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on Jesus' account. That's when we are blessed. 
Now, I don't know about y'all, but that doesn't sound like a blessing to me. And yet, according to God's word, it is. Huh. So all of this is to say that blessing does not mean abundant prosperity nor lack of adversity. It doesn't seem to have any necessary tie or correspondence to material things. It could, and it couldn't. There's not a set pattern. Rather, I suggest to you that the blessing is in the manner of living. The blessing is in the manner of living. I want to return you to that prayer that I was praying for y'all. Please notice a connection that is made for those who live in a manner worthy, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. There's a direct correlation between you blessing him and being blessed. There is a direct correlation between you blessing him and being blessed. Between you glorifying him and being glorified in him. God God has created and established this crazy, wonderful link of his glory and ours. That's crazy, folks. That the more glorified he is in us and through us, the more glory and blessing we get through it. What? Yeah. That when he is high and lifted up, our souls are lifted up in his being lifted up. Yeah. Are you getting excited yet? I've been with this all week. I'm like, woohoo! God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. This is worship. This is love. Now, don't you feel the sheer exaltation in your own being when you see someone you love being made much of? That's God. And that's great. And it's even better when that person being made much of, them being made much of was because of something that you did and helped them with so that they received the adulation. You get this happiness when you have contributed to their happiness, don't you? Jubilation and praising and adoring them because of what? Because of your love for them. That is earthly blessing. When God is glorified in us, when Christ is magnified on the altar of our lives, because we love him, we are glorified in him, and our souls are magnified in his magnification. So do you want to be blessed? Then make blessing him your greatest desire. 
make glorifying him your highest treasure. So that when he is glorified, you will exalt. Woohoo! Yes, Lord! That's right. That when he is honored, you will experience that blessing of his honor. To live in a manner worthy of our calling is to love the Lord, walk in his ways, and hold fast to him. And to love the Lord, walk in his ways, and hold fast to him is to glorify the name of our Lord Jesus in you. And when the name of our Lord Jesus is glorified in you, you are glorified. You are blessed in him. That is what I've been praying for each of you this month. That you would glorify the Lord through your life so that you would know more of the blessing of the Lord in your life. May it be so. Let's pray. God, I pray for each and every person in this room, those in Hawaii, those in Florida, those watching online. Lord, that you would enable them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. Help them to see this high and holy calling that you have called them to. And may they walk worthy, God. May they honor you, Jesus. May the desires of their hearts and the works that they undertake by faith in you, may you bring them to fruition, O oh God. That Jesus would be glorified in them, and them in Jesus. May you be high and lifted up, our God. And may we exult in the blessing of that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.